hour. I'll give a few instructions and a longer period to practice in silence. Please establish a posture that supports your, your ability to be mindful, to be aware. very helpful if you sit upright so that your back is relatively straight without being stiff. It's really good if the dogs learn to sit also, but sometimes it takes a while for them. And really letting your awareness come inside so that you sense, feel, know the direct experience that is sitting here in your seat, aliveness that is here. And as you sense or become aware of your body sitting here, whatever supports your staying present in the lived moment, whether it's being aware of the shape of the body, the posture, or any of the different uh, components of what it is to be alive, the temperature, the heat of the body, the movement of the body, the weight of the body, the places where the body makes contact with the clothes or the chair or the cushion, or the breathing. It's very helpful to establish an embodied awareness. Stay with the body, the breathing, for as long as you wish, for a few minutes, or 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or the whole sitting as you wish. 
And if at any point you feel very settled, composed, collected here in the present moment, then please feel free to open a space of awareness to include whatever else displays itself in these moments of sitting here. Could be sounds or smells or tastes or other sensations in the body or some feelings or moods or emotions. or thoughts, memories, plans, states of heart and mind. And our practice is to be aware of whatever is here. Whether we stay with the body and the breathing, or whether we're, we're being open to whatever other phenomena appear. Not to be enchanted by any of it, but to be aware of it, to know it. To begin to rest in the awareness in which all things are known. And it's very helpful, skillful to relax with whatever is here. Even if you're angry, not to stop the anger, but to relax around it so we can be open to it, be aware of it, feel it, sense it, without being totally connected to it or bound to it, or enchanted by it. Seeing the effervescent nature of reality appearing moment by moment by moment. Hearing, sustaining for a moment or a while and then changing, fading, disappearing.
simply staying present and aware, moment by moment by moment.
again. Good evening, everyone. Um, I just want to mention Donna uh, because I often forget and I, I mention it while people are leaving. And of course, Donna is the power word for generosity and it's how SF Insight has survived for um, 28 years and how the Buddha, Buddhism has survived for however many years, 2,600 years. Um, and what that means is that if you feel so moved, you could send a donation to SF Insight. If you go to the website, San Francisco Insight website, sanfranciscoinsight.com, there's a place to donate there. And uh, maybe somebody will put it in the chat box. Uh, I don't have it in my mind exactly how to do that. But anyhow, I just want to mention that. Um, it helps support SF Insiders, also some of the Donna goes to the teachers. So I thank you for your generosity. And then I don't have to try to remember it at the end when we're all leaving. <clears throat> so um, we've been looking at the Noble Eightfold Path for the last number of weeks. We began with um, right view, right understanding, and uh, what it means to perceive or understand the Dharma and freedom and the potential for freedom. Um, and then we also looked at right intention, right aspiration, how our intentions condition actions and condition the next phase of the path, right? That are, are um, the first two are considered wisdom components of the path, right understanding, right intention, and then the next three are virtues and we talked about right speech last week and what it is to, to have our speech be in accordance with the truth. And because uh, right always means becoming in, in, a, in alignment with the truth, with the Dharma. And this week we're talking about right action. And in the suttas it said, the Buddha says, and what is right action? Abstaining from taking life, abstaining from stealing, abstaining from sexual misconduct. This is right action. And of course, the, the Eightfold Path is a path that leads to freedom, points to freedom, leads to freedom. It's a kind of scaffolding that reveals freedom. And the, the middle section, the wisdom section, and then these three now of right speech, right action, right livelihood, uh, are the um, virtue component of practice. Sometimes the word that's used is virtue. I like the word virtue, but it's also um, the word that's used is the morality or the ethical component of practice. And it's one of the things people often get confused about because mindfulness is very big these days and good. Good that people are being mindful, but it's not the whole practice. It's a part of the practice. And it's part of the practice that's based in our ethical behavior, in our virtue. And uh, virtues are more about living in a free way so that we don't create harm to ourselves 
and to others. <clears throat> and it's really virtuous about how do we live the Dharma in daily life? How do we manifest the Dharma in life? And, and the basis for the virtues, the, the basis for all the precepts and virtues is um, non-harming. And what does it mean to live a life of non-harming? And the, the very traditional word, which predates Buddhism, uh, is ahimsa. And it's a word that uh, Mahatma Gandhi used a lot, ahimsa, right? Acting so we don't harm other beings and also so we're not causing harm to ourselves. And it's really one of the beauties of virtue is it creates a rich life of being. It's the basis for being, uh, for being to be free. Simone de Beauvoir said, to be moral is to discover fundamentally one's own being. To be moral is to fundamentally discover one's own being. And it's a capital B. It's not, it's really about consciousness, about freedom, about being here. <clears throat> and so the three, and of course, these are precepts. And there's traditionally, there's five precepts. But when right actions talked about, it's, uh, they, only, they only do the first three precepts. Because um, right speech is already its own category in the Eightfold Path, which is one of the precepts. Um, and so the first one is refraining from killing or abstaining from killing, abstaining from taking of life, right? The abstaining of taking for life. And which is just, you know, most of us think that's a no-brainer, right? We're not killing anybody. And that's good. And we want to keep it that way. Uh, but it's a bigger picture also. It's not just about killing human beings. It's about not killing any being. And that's a radical practice if you've ever attempted not to kill any living being. Because we all find reasons for killing beings like mosquitoes or ants or cockroaches if you live in New York, or um, um, what else, uh, termites, you know, if you have a house and there's a lot of termites, it's a problem. So you have to figure out what to do. You want to kill the termites is usually what we do, right? But it's really about not killing anything and seeing what it is to respect the life that's here. And um, um, yeah, and, I, and for myself also, it's really, I've watched it when I have killed things, what a difficulty that is. I, I had to euthanize a dog many years ago, my dog Max, and that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I'm not, and I'm not saying it's the wrong thing, but it was a very difficult thing to do, very difficult for my heart and mind. And it may have even, it, I think it was the right thing for Max at that time because of his impairment, but it brings up other questions for all of us about euthanasia in general. <clears throat> 
and of course, um, um, the second, I'm going to go through them, they're all negatives, and then I'm going to go through the positive side of each one. So the second one is refraining from taking what isn't given. Refraining from taking what isn't given. And it means things like here, my pen, I'm not giving this to you, so don't take it. Or even if you go into an office and they have a bunch of pens to use, and you, you need a pen, so you decide, oh, I'm going to take it home. That's not refraining from taking what isn't given. And it's really letting go of a belief that we need something from outside of us to be okay, right? That we seek something for, from what's outside of us. And, um, and it's, it's very common, and I was, and of course, I've been reflecting on all of this today as I was preparing the talk, and I'm remembering when I stole things, and I did when I was young. I remember I once was in a, I was, um, the street theater I was in in New York, the radical political street theater used to get hired to perform places, and we got hired to perform, I think it was at the Beacon Theater. Uh, I don't know if anybody's from New York and you know the Beacon Theater. It's, yeah. So we got hired at the Beacon Theater and I was one of the people negotiating with the uh, Beacon Theater. It's so funny, I think about it now. I think, oh, I was about 12 years old back then when I did this, but I was probably 18 or 19 at the time. And, and, uh, and I remember we got put in a waiting room at some point and, uh, and there was a couch and there was, a, there was something there on the couch and I opened it up and there was a, 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 an envelope with money in it. And I was being a radical political against the government, against society kind of guy at that time. And so I took it because these, the, the Beacon Theater was the establishment to me. And they weren't, you know, they, they weren't radicals. And so I stole the money. And it's really, it's funny how it stays with one, even all these years later, oh, that was not the right thing to do. Even though at the time, I didn't really know it wasn't the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, and I probably took a few other things in my life, but it's been so long since I've done that. And it's so, helpful not to do it because then you don't have to remember that you stole something and you can't tell somebody about it or things like that. And then the third, um, the third right action is refraining from sexual misconduct, right? And of course, for the monks, that means being celibate. Monks and nuns, it means being celibate. But for us, it's about the misuse of the power of sexuality. And uh, when, when one goes on retreat, one is celibate. When you go on a formal retreat, and I've done that many times, and that's great. But we're not on formal retreat. We're all householders. And sexuality is part of our life, whether you're sexual or not sexual or asexual. It's still part of our life. And that's an important piece to be open to and to not um, 
to refrain from acting in inappropriate ways with our sexuality, not to deny it and not to repress it, uh, but um, and not just to act on it, but to really open to it and see what it is, that energy, right? So the negative is, right, don't kill, don't steal, don't misuse, right? And the positive of each of them is so, is just kind of the opposite. It's, it's not about killing, it's about reverence for life itself. And I feel that personally every day, the reverence for life. It's like beautiful to be alive. And it doesn't mean, when I say that, it doesn't mean, oh, it's all good, right? Life has all kinds of difficulty that is part of it, but it's still good to be alive. And I appreciate, I have a lot of respect for the life that is here and that I see everywhere. And I see it right here, even on Zoom, which is a weird place to see life, but it's right here, right? And even, you know, yeah, I got away from Maggie, right? You're alive, it's, it's beautiful. And even the, the, the looks, the face that I can see, or the smile, or the frown, or the, or the, you know, are they, you know, of course, in my mind, are they interested or not interested? And, and of course, early in the, in the meditation, because I look around during the meditation to see who's falling asleep and who's not how it's going. And of course, there was this beautiful dog in the meditation and it's life. And I, I have a, a lot of fond, fondness for dogs as long as I don't have to take care of them personally. I really appreciate their beautiful life energy. And, uh, and of course, even here, I mean, there's a lot of life plants and stuff in the room and, and the life of it is, is just magical and wonderful. And so respect for life and awareness uh, of how precious it is and how the, 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 the negative, don't kill, is in every religion that I know of. It's, you know, it's like one of the commandments, right? And it's in, in all the religions. There's something about, oh, you don't take life, you don't kill life. There's a respect for, uh, for the life of this planet that we're all aware of. And some people are not, they're ignorant or unconscious about that. But we all know that this planet could die. And actually, to, to be more honest, of course, this planet will die. But it would be much better, better if it dies in, you know, 20 or 50 or 100,000 years than in the next 50 years because we don't take care of this planet. And so there's something about caring for life that is a beautiful part of the precept not to kill. It's a reverence for life. It's a revering of life. And of course, even the insects, you know, which of course I've killed insects when I was a kid, you know, as an adult too, but it's like, I don't do that these days. And it's so interesting to relate to them. Actually, I just bought a book and I started reading it. It's about, about a guy who's, a, I forget what you call it. Um, like they say there are, there's some people that are a horse person, they communicate with the horse, 
If anybody knows the phrase, when somebody has kind of psychic communication, do you know what that is, Heather, or anybody? A whisperer. Whisperer, thank you, yeah. So there's, so this was written by a guy who's an animal whisperer, and he starts the first one I've been reading about is this very famous dog called Strongheart and his, his relationship with the dog. But he goes through all these other animals, including insects. And then he includes um, something else, molecules, something like that. I mean, I haven't read it all, but it's really because he's talking about how profound consciousness actually is and how it can go anywhere. And we shouldn't, and this is me talking now, he didn't say this, but, but don't limit what's possible by what you've experienced. Wait to see what's possible because anything is possible with consciousness in my experience. So respecting life, the planet, insects, you know, and watch the, the motivation to kill anything because there's aversion or there's fear or there's anger or there's not freedom, not freedom. And so, yeah, and um, as Zen Master Dogen said, he said, life is not to kill. Let the Buddha seed grow and succeed to the life of wisdom of the Buddha taking no life. Life is not to kill. Let the Buddha seed grow and succeed to the life of the wisdom of the Buddha taking no life. Life is not killed. And then the positive on the second one, do not take what isn't given. You know, it's really uh, important to see why would we take anything and what happens when we do take things? Does it bring peace or does it bring agitation? Does it bring a moment's happiness or true happiness? Like my experience as a kid, you know, stealing a little money, you know, I thought it was great. But I don't think it's great anymore. I'm, 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 not, um, I'm not mean to myself that I did that, but it's not something that I'm happy that I did, right? It's just I understand the limitation of my understanding and the ignorance that it came out of. And really what I would say is the total youth that it came out of. <clears throat> And, and so not taking what isn't given means a certain kind of responsibility that we take for living together here, all of us, because we're all here together. Whether we believe that or not, it's true. We're all here together. All humans on this planet, we're all here together. And if we're taking something, we're taking it from others, right? Suzuki Roshi talked about it this way, and he's one of my favorite mentors. He said, when we think we do not possess something, then we want to steal it. When we think we do not possess something, then we think we want to steal it. But actually, everything in the world belongs to us, so there is no need to steal. Right? This is Suzuki Roshi giving you a little Zen 
Dzogchenish uh, teaching, right? When we think we do not possess something, then we want to steal. But actually, everything in the world belongs to us, so there's no need to steal. And then in the story that I found this, he said he took off his glass, he took his glasses as an example. He said, they do not belong to me, these glasses, and they do not belong to you. They belong to all of us. But you know that my tired old eyes, you know about my tired old eyes, so you let me wear them. <laughs> right? And so he's saying the glasses are not his or, or not yours, they belong to all of us, but because you know about my tired old eyes, you let me use them. And the story went, the attitude of just using whatever we have without identifying it as mine or belonging to me is helpful in loosening up the solidity or fixedness of what we think of as self. When we treat our possessions, even our body, as something we have been given temporarily to take care of and use, then we don't have such a strong tendency to define who we are by what we have we start to see who we are is not based on our possessions. And Dogen put it this way. He said, the mind and phenomena are one. The mind and phenomena are one. The gateway to awakening stands open wide. Right? And he keeps giving a non-dual perspective on all of these. The mind and phenomena are one. The gateway to awakening stands open wide. When you see that you're one with everything, what is to steal? Why would you take anything? And of course, I just want to encourage everybody to feel the oneness with everything. It's all right here. That doesn't mean you will feel it, but I just like to throw those little seeds in because you never know when it's going to happen. So the third one about is about um, you know not misusing one's sexuality, and it's about a reverence or appreciation for the magic and beauty of sexuality, of sensuality, of the eros itself. And eros is bigger than sexuality, but it's a, but sexuality is highly associated with eros. But there's a certain magic and power to the life force that have, has brought us all here, right? All of us, right? Do you remember back then when you were conceived? Anybody have a really good memory? Do you remember that moment of conception? You know, and hopefully it was a pleasant moment for the people who were conceiving, but might not have been even a pleasant moment. But, but it, sexuality has that potency to bring life. And really, I've said this before, not so often, but once in a while, I remember when, uh, when we got pregnant with my daughter, and then I had a, my child, my daughter, and I remember I, it's the first time I felt like I understood what sex was about for the first time. It was like, oh, that's what it's about. <laughs> and it is. It's partly, it's, it's the procreative urge. 
And it's an instinct, it's a very animalistic instinct for the procreation, procreation of the species. And it's so fundamental and it's so uh, hidden by the pleasure and the pain around sexuality that we often don't see it, right? And so, you know, Eros itself is so magical, you know, and an intimate relationship can become this magical expression of love and joy and tenderness and delight and happiness and magic itself. It's beautiful part of, of the positive side of sexuality. Hmm. And if the energy, sexual energy is manifesting maturely, lovingly, appropriately, intimately, it reveals a potential for unity with either, either ourself, if we're like not in a partner sexuality, but if we're in a partner sexuality, a kind of unity with the person, we're um, being sexual with, with a unification of both compassion and love and, and, and uh, passion, excuse me, passion and compassion and love. A kind of unconditional love can arise that's just totally magical. And Dogen said, not indulging in sexual greed because the three wheels are pure, nothing is to be wished for. All Buddhas are on the same path. Should I read that one again? Is that a yes or no? Yes, okay. He said, not indulging in sexual greed because the three wheels are pure, nothing is to be wished for. All Buddhas are on the same path. And you know, it's it's very Dogen-esque. So I partly I have no idea what he means by this. And partly I think he's uh, pointing at the Buddha nature that's always here, even in sexuality with whoever we're with. And so some of your own inquiry around all of this might be about how do you manifest the Dharma, how do you embody the Dharma in daily life, in your, you know, as we've been talking about, about speech last week and now about actions. Next we'll talk about livelihood, really. And uh, I thought I'd read one last thing since the, the virtues are considered to be the foundation of practice. Often, uh, sometimes it's called sila, samadhi, panya. Sila is the virtue, sila is ethics, the virtues. Samadhi is meditation practice and uh, concentration and awareness. Um, and then um, the uh, sila, samadhi, panya is wisdom, which is right understanding and right intention. And, uh, and again, sila is the basis for that. So it's the foundation of it. And Anne Klein writes from, and she's a Tibetan practitioner, and she's talking about Tibetan practice, nundra, which is, she says, 
uh, the foundational practices are ways of bringing body speech or energy and excuse me, are ways to bring body speech or energy and all aspects of mind into increasingly effortless harmony with the oceanic expanse central to Dzogchen teachings. Dzogchen teachings, we could call them big mind teachings for a simple way to speak about it, right? But she's saying it's bringing it into harmony, the virtue into harmony with freedom of consciousness, with awakening, right? She says this expanse is another name for reality, the heart of our being, and thus for mind nature, we might say mindfulness. Its vastness challenges the cramped and reified self-images that temporarily obstruct our view of the whole. Finitudes of any kind, the sense of self being small and contained, the familiar urgent rush of business, passions, or plans are simply conceptions. These conceptions are both cause and effect of energetic holdings in the body. The foundational practices illuminate these holdings and in the end lead to their dissolution into the expanse. Beautiful. That's a beautiful deep teaching of what happens in practice, right? That we want to be aware of the foundational practice, allow us to practice with every part of our experience, right? Body, speech, energy, mind, right? And then bring it into harmony with the openness and emptiness of awareness itself, of what that which knows, right? And she says that expanse, that which knows is another name for reality, the heart of our being, our mind and nature. And its vastness challenges the cramped and reified self-images that temporarily obstruct our view of the whole, right? It's our, it's our ego identity, our self-image, you know, the small sense of self as it's talked about in Buddhism, right? And she says, finitudes of any kind, the sense of being small and contained, the familiar urgent rush of business, passions, plans, um, these are both cause and effect of energetic holdings in the body. It's like we, we tighten up and we want to relax. It's one reason why we want to relax when we meditate. We want to relax around whatever is here, whatever contraction is here whatever tightness is here. It's not that we're pushing it away, we're relaxing around it and letting it also rest in awareness, right? The foundational practices illuminate the holdings in the body, heart, mind, and in the end lead to their dissolution into the expanse. So those are a few thoughts from Eugene tonight about right action. And you know, I like to hear from you, your thoughts, questions, comments, reactions, uh, agreeing with me, disagreeing with me, illuminating me would all be great. And please go to the participants button to raise your hand because uh, I can't see all of you at once on the screen.
So somebody, Ben, you sent me a note. Don't send any notes in chat. I'm not chatting with anybody there. You need to raise your hand and speak to me directly. Thank you. And again, if you want to raise your hand, go to the participants button and you'll see how to raise your hand. The only person who can raise their hand on the screen is Sarah. <clears throat> okay, Sarah, I saw you raised your hand. So please unmute yourself, Sarah. And I'm going to go back to speaker view. You know, I think this is one of those occasions where um, I wouldn't ordinarily uh, be speaking, but I, let's see, I've just erased everybody. Yeah, no, we can hear okay. you fine. Hi. Yeah. Um, but I'm, at, you know, I'm at, at my advanced age. Um, I'm very aware that uh, when it comes to sexuality, how, at least as I, as I recall it, was a very uh, primitive sort of learning that I had at home. Mm -hmm. That yeah. I, um, I remember when I was in the eighth grade and our family had just for the first time bought a house that had a 30-year mortgage and I think it cost $6,500. This was in a suburb of Philadelphia in Montgomery County. And I was invited to a, a party uh, in, at the end of the eighth grade. And I remember my mother saying to me, um, I don't want you coming back here with a baby under your belt. I had not a clue as to what she was possibly talking about. Yeah. And I think our, our growing up was so rudimentary. It was so connected to survival. My father was a laboring man. The in, he was an alcoholic, he was a gambler. The income was very um, unknown, whether he was gonna be coming home, you know, drunk or not. It was a different, very kind of different reality. And um, I think that, you know, knowing about sexuality and, and, and having it be a major part of my life for, for many, many years, um, I have, a, a I definitely have feelings about the power of it, about the, the way in which it, it guided many of my actions, some of which I, I can see now were actions that led me to a turning point in my life. A sexual relationship was that important. It could actually take you from one life to another 
turning yeah. point in your yeah. life. Yes. And I'm finding, I don't, in my, in my group of people that I mostly associate, which are older people, sexuality is not something that gets talked about at all. Mm -hmm. And yet I feel very sexual as a human being. Yes, yeah. it's still a part of who I am. Right. And I just wonder, because my, my uh, awareness or my hunch is that it's very different for people, younger people growing up today, where you have, uh, you have the, you know, many avenues and many, they're young, so young sometimes having sexual experiences. Yeah, yeah. So that seems like, I'm just throwing that out here. I don't. Sure, no, great. Thank you. Because, you know, you have a big picture view and that's very yeah. helpful. And it's, um, and many of the things you're saying is very, they're totally true. That especially um, in what I call the old days, often there wasn't a lot of um, intelligence about sexuality or it was hidden or it was, it was wrong, right? For yeah. certain people, more, yeah. more for women than for men, right? Yeah. But it was still, you know, and then, and then there was all this taboo around it also. Mm -hmm. And that's changed quite a bit. And yet there's still a lot of um, uh, difficulty around sex. And, um, you know, how people, especially now with COVID-19, is a whole nother level of uh, difficulty, which is even getting close to people physically. Right? Yeah, no and, hugging. Pardon, no, no touching, you know, come on. No I mean, touching. the only people I've ever seen, they keep pointing their elbows at me, right? Because that's <laughs> the only part you can touch. And, uh, you know, elbows can be, you know, sexy, but not usually. And, um, and yeah, but you're really, it's great. You're pointing at it and great what you're saying about that you're still sexual because it's different for different people. Some people as at say age, like one of the most sexual people I ever knew, who was a man who was a Dharma teacher and therapist and very, very, very sexual. At some point in his life, he just said, oh, it's gone now. It's just gone. And for him, that was true, right? Because I know him. He would, he, he, if it wasn't true, he would be happy to be sexual. But because mm -hmm. he was very happy to be sexual before that was true, but it changed. And so all I'm saying is I'm really happy to get your perspective because it's different for different people. And for some people, sex is also very painful and very painful, meaning a lot of hurt, a lot of heartache around sexuality. And so they don't have good associations with it. And then some people it's, it's way more positive. And, and it's just really different. And it's really important for each of us to look at our own relationship with sexuality and the power of sexuality because yeah. it's a neurotic power that I believe is a good power. It's not a bad power. It, it can be used, it can be misused or misappropriately used, but it's the power itself is not bad. Yeah. And yet it tends to be, and certainly in my acquaintance level, uh, you don't hear people ever just talking about it. Well, I would just love to, I'd love to be in a group sometime where sexuality and it's, 
you know, how, what kind of a force it's been to be openly discussed in some normal, yeah. as a normal topic. Of course, it's a totally normal thing. No, I just appreciate so much what you're saying. And I would encourage you to see if there's somewhere in the realm of where you find yourself with peers and friends, is there a place to talk about it or to ask uh, somebody who's more of a, a facilitator to lead a group around sexuality, right. you know? And I'm living with a lot of people who are, who are uh, homosexual. Uh-huh. A and, lot of people, and both women and men. Yes. So. And, and right. I and think so. I think it could be a very interesting. Totally. Yeah. At least the people I know who are homosexuals like sex. <laughs> you know, sex is part of their world, right? <laughs> so it's not, you know, and so it's really important to see the, um, the discussion may be possible even if it's not usual. Okay? Great. Right. Maybe I'll ask you to come over here. And <laughs> What's that? What did you say? I missed what you said, Sarah. What? Yeah. What did you say? I said I could, I could see you coming over and, and being a facilitator. <laughs> well, it's a nice vision, and that's, you know, in the realm of possibility. Let, <laughs> let's see. But that's, that's enough for me. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you, Sarah. Don. Hi, hi, Eugene. You get a twofer here, both Heather and I. Of course. You want, you want to go first? Uh, Do you two want to talk about sexuality or what? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the first thing on my mind, to be honest, but I love the conversation with Sarah. Thank you, yeah. Sarah. Um, so, what I how I can articulate this. So I've been having a hard time. I work in healthcare, COVID, and it's been like generally pretty cool. And then the last two weeks, it's just been friggin' like everything that could possibly come out of the woodwork has come out of the woodwork in my realm and where I work. And so I've been really stressed. Um, when I get really stressed, I pass like a, a passive, like a point of no return where it's almost like, very little help. So I can, I can say to myself, I'm here for you, you know, or I'll turn things over to Buddha nature. Like that's, you know, there, there's certain skillful means. I talk to people, I have lots of support, but, um, but this idea of not no harming. And one of the things that, cause one of the things stress is very harmful. Right. And, um, and I'm doing my what, best. What is really harmful? Stress. Stress is very right? Living with a lot of stress is very harmful and trying to navigate that. Um, anyway, and then with the election and what's happening with Trump, it's like a whole other level of um, not feeling safe for me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in talking about non-harm, it's hard for me not to immediately go to all the harm that's being done right now. Right. Um, but are you doing it? No, but it impacts me. You know what I mean? Like, so it feels like there's harm being done. It's not like I don't take it personally, like it's being done to me, but 
that's the impact. And I imagine it is for many people. And well, that, that's a much bigger question because there, be, uh, uh, there may be a lot happening that's very um, un, uh, unawakened around politics. And that seems to be part of the nature of politics to some degree. But how we relate to it is our practice. And I, you know, I mean, I'm, believe me, I keep my eyes on what's happening and I have my own concerns at times, but I'm not in control of almost any of it. And we've, we've had, we keep having this conversation because it's a very difficult area, what you're pointing at. It's like, you know, is he, is Mr. Trump so uh, scared that he's really going to act as uh, uh, as crazily as my mind thinks he could, right. right? And yet, I don't think that can really happen. And right. everything I'm seeing has been positive, more positive than my projections. So I want to be aware of my projections so I don't believe them. Right. That's helpful, Eugene. Yeah. 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 And keeping really kind to Heather, because Heather does good work in the world. You do. And that's really, you know, I've said this before for other people in the medical world. It's bodhisattva practice. And, and you know, so you want to be really kind to the person doing that kind of practice. Thank you. Okay. 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 So, so Eugene, I just really appreciated the part about you bringing up about not identifying with things as I. Uh -huh. So I've done a, a, you know, focused a lot on like making sure I'm not like identifying with um, emotions or feelings as I or mine. Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of eye opening for you to actually move that out of an internal space and made it an external space. And it was like, oh yeah, because, yeah. you know, just because of my own causes and conditioning, I've got this concern about like, I think Heather would agree, <laughs> about things, right? And not in a, a grabby way, but I just realized that there's this a whole other thing about letting that go and realizing that isn't mine. And I'm just appreciative of you right. kind of opening up that perspective to me. Great. I'm, I appreciate it too, meaning I keep seeing what I think is I or me or mine, right? Like, oh, you know, it's my cup, right? And this is a cup that I like a lot, so I use it a lot. But, you know, it's actually not my cup. <laughs> I mean, it is, but it's your cup. It's our cup. It's the cup, you know? And, it, and, if, and if you would have gone to the store and bought it, it would have been your cup. But and so it's just a cup, really, and uh, and it's so it's it's. Here's one of my thoughts about this: is I totally enjoy this cup, really. I totally enjoy it, and I appreciate it every time I'm getting to use it. But I also know it's not my cup, right? And it's and it's and it, I'm glad it works so well. You know, I've got water in it. I don't know if you can see the water, but. It's right there, yeah. So, and it's true. I mean, I could look around this room and just anything, right? Right. This is my bell, right? Great bell, you know. So, but it's not mine. It's just a bell, and it's it, and someday it'll be very clear that it's not mine. Right. And, and even I'm old enough, so I'm getting rid of stuff 
so that my daughter doesn't have to go through my stuff after I leave, right? Because I have so much stuff that I don't need at all. Can I add something to that? Do you mind, Eugene, or do you want to move on? No, you're, you're okay. Go ahead. Just, I'm remembering, speaking of appreciation for you, like it's a similar teaching. This is years ago. Um, you said something like everything, I mean, it's, it's Buddhist teaching. Everything falls away. Everything yeah. dies. Everything goes. But it was like, even Apple someday is not going to be here. Like, even who's, who's Apple? Apple, who's, like the Apple, company. the company, right? Mac. Oh, yeah, even, I've Apple, heard of it. even the you know united states even whatever it was you just kept going on and on and right. it really penetrated me and now when like something breaks or something like i don't know something that i like it's just like oh, yeah everything just goes like what's the big deal it's not a big deal so just thank you it's most things are really not a big deal and every once in a while there's a big there's something that is a big deal and but it you know, like people die and that's a big deal. But even that is normal and natural and not a mistake. It's just the way things are. And so coming into harmony with the way things are frees us. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Anybody else? We still have a few minutes. Emily, please unmute yourself, Emily. Hi. Hi. Um, it's interesting that less people have questions than usual because it's such an important topic, right? Action. Um, <laughs> but I guess for me, the thing that I was thinking about um, is well i have two different patterns that get in the way of right action i think or probably more but that i'm thinking in the moment the one is i'm indecisive and the other is that i was raised with this very rigid right and wrong good bad black white kind of mentality but i that i have really tried to challenge a lot um to actually think instead of rely on like uh -huh. that I was taught. But so what happens sometimes is, um, well, part of that is sort of like, what's the right thing to do? Like there's an answer here, you know, there's a good thing and a bad thing or a right thing and a wrong thing. And then because I'm indecisive, you know, it sort of like all mixes up together. So there's often times where I can't tell what right action would be because I'm sort of distracted by these this other stuff gunk in my head and i'm just trying to think about and i've 
I try different things and I have, you know, different kind of techniques that help me, or sometimes it's just like, just do something, you know, in terms of the indecision and see what happens. Um, but a lot of times with the like right, wrong stuff, I can't tell, you know, if I'm acting from a place of kind of obligation or rigidity, or if I'm acting from a place of thinking and mindfulness. And so just curious what you would say and about this topic from that. It's, it's an interesting edge for you in your practice. And so, uh, first of all, I would say be really kind to yourself around it and then see what's true. That seems to be the most important thing, what's true. Even, even if you're using the right and wrong uh, template, well, what is right and what is wrong? And is that true, right? Like it's right, I always should be nice to everybody. And it's wrong when I'm not nice to everybody. Is that true? No. It's one template. And what is it that's aware of the template? Right, okay, good. Yeah, and then you get more room to decide or see clearly or see what is actually the Dharma, which means truth. Yeah, and be really kind to the indecisive part of you. And I, I actually like what you said. I sometimes just do anything and see what happens. And if it's not the right thing to do, you'll stop it. Right? But you'll learn how, how can you trust your heart as well as your mind becomes an important part of this. Like what do you want to do also becomes part of right action. <laughs> I was never in the picture. <laughs> you were what? I was never in the picture. That you know, well, let's put it in the picture. We'll give you a new picture to play with. <laughs> right, right. In certain families or certain communities, that's not in the picture. But, you know, even your being here is you're doing something you want to do. And that is that what when you enter the dharma because you want to be free that's very powerful want and a very legitimate want right the, like the buddha followed his wanting to be awake all the way to the end but when you say that's a legitimate want like what my mind does is like okay then how do you figure out what are the legitimate wants um you have to see what what's true is it true? Because maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe I'm bullshitting. Maybe I'm full of it. But you have to see for yourself and begin to trust your heart. Because you're, you're going to be the only one who can make the ultimate decision. You know, I, I could have my opinion or Heather or Don could have their opinion or Sarah would have her opinion. But really... They're just our opinions about what's right and wrong. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I, I do think there are certain things that are right and wrong. Like, uh -huh. and there's a, a bigger range outside of that that we have to figure out. Yeah, 
Okay, we'll work with that. Because, you know, it's like really right not to cut somebody with a knife, right? Except if you're a surgeon, then it's right. Or someone's attacking you. Right. So there's, you want to be really careful about the rigidness of the right and wrong. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Glad you raised your hand. <laughs> Okay, anybody else? We have time for one more or we can say good night. I'm, I'm on retreat all week. I've been on retreat for the last two days and I'm on retreat until next Sunday actually. So I'm happy to go back to retreat. <laughs> uh, but I'm happy to talk to whoever else would like to say something, ask a question or all right, help me discover what's true. Okay. That it? Just looking around. Sometimes when I see people move towards their towards the screen, I think oh maybe they're gonna raise their hand, but that just might be my fantasy. Okay, everybody. Good to see you. We'll take a moment to share the merit of our time together. Appreciating being here in the middle of this crazy pandemic, this crazy world. With its crazy politics and the different kinds of wrong action that happen all the time in terms of killing, stealing, misusing sexuality, speech, drugs, alcohol. May all beings everywhere receive the blessings, benefit of our time together so that they're free from the uh, killing, stealing, sexual abuse, wrong speech, drugs. May our good work here, may it go out in every direction, in every world. May this world be free from killing, free from stealing, free from sexual misconduct, free from wrong speech, free from intoxication that clouds the heart and mind. May all beings be free and wake up. May we awaken together.
Okay, everybody. Right livelihood next week. I want to hear what each of you does. We might do a little bit of interactive practice around work. It's really an interesting question for all of us. Eugene. Yes. Um, can we just also announce the Inside LA? Sure, announce. Okay. Um, Inside LA, for those of you that have seen the social dilemma, they're doing um, like a two hour discussion with the it's Trudy Goodman and Jack Hornfield tomorrow from four to six thirty. If you go to the website for Inside LA, they have um, they're having like a discussion with Tristan Harris, who created the social dilemma for those of you that that moved you. Yeah, great movie. And I won't be there because I'll be on retreat during those times. But check it out. Let's see what Jack and Trudy have to say. Okay, everybody. Be well, stay healthy. Bye, Ivan. Thank you. Thank you. Who's Davy? Oh, bye, dog. <laughs> I like that dog. <laughs> okay, bye, Sarah. Bye, Michael. Bye, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, bye, Nina. Thanks for your help. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Bye, Sarah. Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.